Hey, Gabriel Lake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. What are we today? We are in our apartments. They're never going to open up the bars ever. Well, to be completely fair, they are like some bars that they have outdoor seats that you can go. It's true, but those seats are few and far between, and several people just like us have the ideas to sit at those tables. So, mm. but fair. we think that maybe next recording we might try. Okay. Record yeah. from a bar, maybe not a dive bar, but a bar. Well, at this point, you know, I think that I'll be happy with just a bar instead of the dive bar. Like we survived this time. Yeah. Uh, so what did we watch today? We watched the 2001 made-for-TV film Wet by Mike Nichols, starring Emma Thompson. Okay, so my question to you, Blake, is why did you hate me? Why did you make me watch this movie? I wanted to give you the gift of good cinema. Oh, suffering. I wanted, I, I wanted to introduce you to the to cinema with gravitas. Oh, my God. So we watched this movie because I, this is my gateway movie. I was, let's see, it was 2001 when this came out. So I was either... 16 or 17 and I just happened to watch this film on HBO and it blew my mind how good this movie was and how nobody was talking about it. All anyone was talking about at that time was G.I. Jane and I was like, this is a really really good movie and it taught me that movies could be more than what was being shown at my local cinema in rural Idaho and uh, that set me on my journey to feel like I'm superior to everyone with my movie taste. I had to say that is like I found it pretty impressive that what kick off or kick started your travel through life and you know and cinema it was actually a movie that is about the death of someone <laughs> and the suffering. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> Spoiler alert! But it's like you know, uh, yeah. So I guess that I should summarize what the movie is about. Please, and this about yeah, yeah, this is the story about a 45-year-old uh, college teacher uh, that specializes on the poetry from a single uh, 17th-century uh, English uh, writer that is called John Donne. I, Don, I Don, never, yeah. yeah, I never heard of him before. Is that like he maybe like just? Did he's you? like like we we he's. He's not like as big as Shakespeare, but I mean, if you took an English lit class in oh, America, gotcha. you, you know who John Donne is, at least gotcha. who he is. Yeah, so basically it's the story about this woman that sacrificed everything for her academic career. It's not a sacrifice, it is like for her, it was never important to have any life outside of her devotion to this specific area. So the display, everything is like pretty minimalistic, and it's like from the point that she is given the diagnosis that she has uh, like four stage uh, cancer, ovarian cancer, and that they want to try an experimental approach to it that is like basically doing like eight cycles of chemo, like full chemo, that is a like no one had ever like gone through it. And they expect that maybe it will save her, but in any case, there is no other alternative. She's going to die anyways. So better to try that, that's 
died, I guess. Uh, so the whole story just takes place in the hospital where she is like, being taken care of by uh, one of the doctors that used to be his pupil, his student, her student, like many years ago, because he needed to take something from literature, because supposedly in America, like doctors need to be like well-versed on everything, a bit of everything. That I guess maybe by surprise for sure. So, uh, and also her relationship with the nurse, that is like, this very empathetic woman that he cares for her and her last days of life. Because of course, how through the movie, they actually unveil that there is not going to be any uh, possibility of her being healed. And she chooses that she doesn't want to be resuscitated. If at any point, uh, she actually goes into cardiac arrest. Uh, I have to say, my opinion is that this was one of the most devastating movies that I ever watched. The script is top-notch, not about like, the high-level idea. I think that is like, pretty smart how it connects with uh, her passion. But it's not only about like, her passion about like oh, 17th century literature, but about like, this specific uh, writer and about how everything is about life and death. Something that probably she never like, really approached in this kind of way. She's like, very pragmatic. And until close to the end, is that she doesn't really fall into the place, I'm going to die. And how she actually just faced that fear of death when up to that point it was like pretty critical about, oh yeah, you know, I understand what the doctors are saying. I know that I'm going to die. I don't want to be resuscitated and I don't have any family or friends. So it's fine. Yes, the vast majority of the movie, the vast, vast majority is from her hospital bed as she just deteriorates and she breaks the fourth wall frequently uh, and talks to the viewer um she goes through her life not like in a chronological way this is what happened in my life more like i feel like i made a mistake in this way and you see a scene from her life previously but the funny thing is like she doesn't really acknowledge until she breaks down towards the end that she made a mistake it's like she even says that i chose academics over people that was my call but so the, the scene I'm thinking of specifically, and it's not towards the end when she dies, is there's a flashback to a student asking her for an extension on his paper oh, yeah. because his grandma died. And she basically says, go to the funeral, don't go to the funeral, I don't care, but the paper's due when it's due. Do and what you says, do. Yeah. Did I say that you are 19, you are so young, and you know nothing yet and show compassion? No, I didn't. Like, you, she's going through, she's... Yeah. Like showing regrets for the way she lived her life. Yeah, while yeah. I'm fully maintaining, fully supporting her choice to live her life that way. Yeah. So, I mean, until at the end, she breaks down crying. You know, when she actually realizes about like, what is the situation that she's in. Because even with the other teacher, that it was her teacher when she was growing up, or she was going to graduate school, that it almost feels like she took that position when she retired, almost. But it's yeah. like she is the one that shows up at the end. And it's like she actually shows up and says, well, I was in town because I was just coming for my grandkid or great grandkid uh, birthday party. And it's like, well, she actually had the same career as she did, but she didn't sacrifice the personal perspective. She had a life. 
and that's why I, I really liked the layered aspect to this is that she became the expert on the holy sonnets of John Donne, right? Which is all about life and death and salvation after life. And she understood these poems to an extreme, but she never implemented what they were actually about. She never lived her life based on the teachings of John Donne or the suggestions of John Donne. And I thought that the fact that this professor, her mentor, there's a flashback to when uh, Emma Thompson goes to her as her professor and the professor's like, you didn't understand this paper at all. Like you didn't get it. You used the wrong source material. And she's like, you're right. I get it. I'm going to go back to the library. And she's like, no, don't no, go back to the library. Go on with life. Friends. Yeah. And she chooses not to go spend with time with friends. She went back to the library. And yep. she, that's how she messed up in her life. And she's only coming to understand this now. Yeah. So I, I like it, quote unquote. It's like I like it. It's like I think that it's really smart written, not only from the high level perspective, but also the dialogues are really, really engaging. It's like all the lines are like perfectly delivered, you know. I I was like really surprised right now. We're checking the uh, Michael, sorry, Mike Nichols' uh, career, and I realized that this was a TV movie that it was never released in the cinema because it's true that it's a very small movie, but at the same time, it's it's good. It's really good. It's like it's the kind it's of really style that is a Emma Thompson. Yeah, but it's like Emma Thompson. I was surprised that Emma Thompson, for example, didn't win an Oscar for this. Because her acting is amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. She should have. I wonder if she won any acting, Rosie. Oh no, no, I didn't say that uh, that far. But uh, now the part that I would like a bit more, and I told you about this, that is like I find devastating this movie, like being devastating because even like at the beginning, there are parts that you can almost feel like a comedy. Is like all the fourth wall breaking from Emma Thompson that is. Almost every single scene, there is like a couple of sentences that she looks to the camera. Is that there is something hilarious from time to time in there, but it doesn't prepare you to exactly what you know that is like a inescapable ending that you're going to be fighting in the movie. At one point, she even references the play that she's in, and she says, "If I had been writing this scene, this is how I would have written it." But <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, this, you was know, based, this was based on a play, no? It was based on a play that won a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, nice. And then Mike Nichols and Emma Thompson wrote the script together, the, the film script. And then Emma Thompson starred in it. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because you used the word brutal to describe it. It's, it's intensely emotional. But for some reason, for me, the word brutal doesn't work because it's such, it's just this journey that you're taking on and it's so realistic. And it's, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's I say, like for serial killers, not watching the sweet woman die slowly. I mean, that's still like pretty brutal to me. You know, it's like seeing how actually deteriorates. For example, let me just put you another movie that this movie made me think of Love. By Haneke. Sorry, love, no, uh, Amor. Amor by Haneke. <laughs> like what? Okay. Yeah. But Amor by Haneke. Like just seeing like the degradation in the uh, in the mother, you know, that is like, and actually the father not being able to do anything. 
and just seeing how it progresses towards like what you know that is going to happen at the end. But that's like, a good example that that is brutal. Like she makes her husband hit her, and then he like lays in bed with his dead wife. Like that's brutal. This is a spoiler this, alert too. <laughs> yeah, well, if you haven't seen <laughs> that movie by now. Um, there's a brutality to Michael Haneke's film, but to watch her go through this very natural process of dying, even though it's a terrible way to die, it's. I don't know. There was something about it that was just, it just was so authentic that I didn't feel that it was brutal. I mean, for me, it was brutal. And I mentioned this from the perspective of what are we living right now? Is it part of uh, the message that she's talking about? It's about isolation. She chose isolating herself. She chose that it's like, I'm my own island. And maybe I'm compromising with my work. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want anything to do with other people. You don't have any kind of interest on that. And it's like, what it felt brutal to me is like just portraying it on the reality that we are living on right now. That is true, is that we don't have cancer. Or well, or maybe we do, we don't know, who knows. But at the same time, it's like we are isolated right now. Not by choice, not because we are like in love with our careers and we don't want to talk with anyone else, is that we are put in a situation that, as I told you, if now you go to the hospital, no one's going to be able to visit you. Yeah, I, I went through that with my dad. He was in the hospital for a month, and I nobody could see him. Nobody. And yeah. it's horrifying. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is a beautiful, like, how she approaches the process. You know, about, like, well, see, at any point, she never actually uh, stop and feel pity about herself. She's a bit more like... No, and that's because she didn't feel pity for herself. I think she ex embraced the consequences of the decisions that she made. Yeah. And at the end, she got scared and sad and reached out to whoever was near her. And those were truly authentic moments. And it wasn't, I don't know. I just felt like in movies where people are dying of cancer or some sort of terminal disease, they stop being an individual, a real person, and they become the disease. And she never became that. The, the film never is reduced to, oh, this is a story about someone with a terminal illness. It was a story about her. Well, it was about her going through a terminal illness and how that terminal illness actually helps her open her eyes about her decisions in the past. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Did you sense any regret besides not treating people with kindness? And that's something she touches on in a couple of her monologue is the meaningfulness of kindness in moments like this. Yep. Yeah, that she actually says like now is ironic that is like what I wanted from my former student is exactly something that I never provided that it was kindness and human touch. Which is another aspect of the the the, the script that I absolutely loved is that she never showed compassion or humanity in her genius. She was a technical expert of the theory of John Donne, but there was no humanity. And now she is the thing that people are studying because her doctors aren't just treating her, they're using her to study the disease. And so they're not treating her like she's human. And they are theoretical experts at what they do with zero humanity. And she's finally understanding yeah. why that was so fucked up. She was like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the script is like properly written. It's like, it's, when I was watching it, it's like I was thinking, is that, wow, it's impressive. I mean, someone can do an script this good about something so small, let's say. 
is that there is someone that actually went like a long way for saying, okay, I'm going to be like taking John Dong's writings, I'm going to be applying it to this woman, and I'm going to be like making this mirror image with the rest of the academics about like her reflecting about it. And I felt like, okay, writing a script like this cannot be easy. This is not something or, you know, like the original play is like, this cannot be something that is like you just doing a weekend or like, you know, Aronofsky with mother that is, okay, you know, I started on a Friday and on Sunday I had a movie. Uh, is like, there is serious work on this. And then at the same time I was thinking is okay, why HBO will produce something like this? And then we have so much shitty cinema with terrible scripts. Why, why Hollywood could approve like so much content that it has such a mediocre excuse when and you have a stuff like this. This is the question. That's literally the question. I remember we had AOL dial up at that at this time and I watched this and I went to Google it and I couldn't find anything about this movie. And I'm like, what the hell? This is so above and beyond anything else I could go see right now. Why yeah. isn't this a bigger thing? I don't know. So anyway. yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know why HBO didn't actually release this on the cinema. It was a different time. I mean, you saw the doctors didn't even use computers. I was like, why are you, why are you writing things on clipboards? That's not safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to say that maybe the, uh, the only thing that I was not too much a fan of, that it was a bit more on your face, it was when she goes into cardiac arrest and the guy tries to resuscitate him, to sorry, to resuscitate her while the nurse is saying, like, no, there is a DNR code, don't do it, don't do it. And there is, like, the blue team that they come is like, no, there is a DNR code. Is that, okay, sure, I mean, I get it. It's that like you're just emphasizing that the doctor doesn't see her as a human being. You only see her as a research paper. And he wants to just keep her alive at any cost for just continuing any kind of research that they wanted to do. I think you're right about the script. And I think I would like to research. Her name is Margaret. I can't remember her last name. But I this seemed to come from such a deeply personal, authentic place. And the emotions that I felt were brutal. You're right. But it wasn't the same sort of kind of like emotional manipulation. I, I didn't feel emotionally manipulated. It was just... I was watching this happen and I experienced a lot of emotions and I don't think any of it was just to make you feel bad on purpose. Did you feel like, uh, like Haneke manipulates you? Yes, but in a more, not in the same way as Lars von Trier does, <laughs> where at the end of Nymphomaniac 2, for some reason, the main character's best friend just squats over her and pisses on her. And you're like, um, okay. <laughs> it's more heavy handed. With it's, that just, <laughs> it's more subtle. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I watched this film. Oh, let's talk about the second to final scene where professor Ash. Oh God. Yeah. I, I broke down. And that that was is just like the greatest scene. So, so Vivian doesn't have a single visitor the entire time, which is a little bit weird because you have at least one visitor, right? No matter who you are. But, um, and then oh. she's in the last. <laughs> is there someone? Saying, is there someone that the hospital pays for you? You don't have any visitors. 
But it just flew like an huge, imaginary friend. If she has this huge academic career and she's the leader in her field, you at mm. least have somebody, somebody from the university to come by, somebody that, I don't know, you have somebody. It doesn't matter. I think mm. that she didn't have any visitors to give the scene where her old professor comes to visit her this incredible we were talking before the podcast you said emotional payoff and it's just the moment where no matter who you are you will cry i sobbed yeah i think you cried it's the most touching moment where she just wanted somebody to show her kindness while she died and somebody came and showed her kindness and it just like it was just the most lovely scene and i could go on and on about it yeah, but no, about it. The what? You're curious what? I'm curious to hear what you thought about it. I thought that that was devastating, but it was also like really nice. You know, it was a devastating. You like it's the emotional payoff. That is, you have been like just building up this kind of okay. I have to be tough, but I'm tough by nature. Uh, but at that point, she actually breaks down. It's true that it's like, okay. She's morphing. She's like in the last stages. You know, of progression is like probably she's like just barely conscious. But it's like the sweetness of the teacher that also looks like extremely professional, you know, of the older teacher about like, okay, how she connects with like, you need someone. Is you didn't have anyone, there are no flowers, there is nothing here about like showing you kindness or, you know, like connection with human beings and how she just immediately says, okay, I'm going to be like just lying next to you. For a moment, I felt like okay from a from an academic perspective, I would feel weird, but we don't know everything about the relationship that they used to have. We don't know if it was I like ten years. I suspect they continued a relationship after she graduated, and she was the. This is all a story I projected onto her that they became friends. They were women in academic circles specializing in this. Again, I'm making this all up, but I hoped I hoped that Vivian had somebody like uh, Professor Ashford in her life. Otherwise, I don't think I could handle this movie. It's too much. It's too much. And to have someone as talented as Emma Thompson do all of this, half of the movie was just a close-up of her face, either in pain or talking to you. Yeah. It was just... Yeah, no, it was it was incredible, honestly. I think that it was like as impressive, like her acting. That's the reason why I was telling you that it's like I wish that she was uh, nominated to something. I just feel like this was a disfavor from HBO not releasing it on the cinema because this is a good movie. It's a good movie. It actually just affected me yesterday. Yeah, I said that it's good. You know, it's like I told you, it's brutal, it's devastating, but it's a good movie. You know, but it's like I just had the feeling that for me, I was during a pandemic not in the best place for enjoying a movie like this. And I would never, ever watch it again. Never. What? Never. I promise you, I will never watch this thing again. Because how it's true that you know that from time to time you see like a sad movie and you can just like get a bit emotional for a second. I had to stop it. I had to stop it at that point about like I need a moment for actually just yeah, when the professor comes and she actually gets in bed and she starts like just crying and breaking down, but it's like you know that she can no longer keep like a, a smart conversation or anything. And the teacher started like reading this book about the uh, the rabbits, you know. And I love the comments that she says, like, "Oh, that's delightful." 
That's really smart. Is an allegory really... of the soul. <laughs> allegorical, <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's so you're like just analyzing this as if it was like 17th century literature, you know, a book for three years old. <laughs> That's cute. Uh, in, in college, I had to give a Freudian analysis of a Dr. Seuss book called Are You My Mother? <laughs> it was very interesting. <laughs> that sounds amazing, honestly. Uh, I'm checking the IMDb page to see... So she was nominated for Emmys, uh, nominated for Screen Actors Guild. It doesn't look like she won anything, but the movie and the director won quite a bit. Oh, no, she won an AFTA, Online Film and Television Association. That doesn't sound like a real thing in 2001. No, probably not. Can you check for me on IMDb just to see if I'm going crazy or not? Uh, but sick, Margaret Edson. Is that the the playwright? Yeah. So it looks it looks like this movie. Huh, that's interesting. I will be like curious to see that. Uh, this play was adapted twice. It was adapted in two thousand and one, and it was and adapted 2004? in two thousand four. Yeah. I saw that on IMDb. I wondered if it was the same. But it's on Spain. This, all the cast, is from Spain. Wow. So, so is that what we're watching this week? Never. <laughs> never. I, I promise you, I'm never going to be like watching anything based on that story. Never. So I have to say that I, I have not seen this film since I was 16, 17, and it had this huge impact on me. And I was so curious to see how the film was going to hold up after 18 years. Yeah. No, 19 years, and I would say it's as good or better than I remember it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's like a very uh, out of time, timeless story kind of thing. Because even when you're talking about cancer, it's like, I don't, I don't know exactly if the progression that we have, if it would actually be like a different situation for someone that it was in a stage four you know, a terminal stage. Even from the scientific perspective, you know? Yeah, for... I don't know how to say this without sounding like a total douchebag, but for me, the film is not about cancer. It's about her. She happens to have cancer, but it is about who this person is, and she does happen to die. But it never becomes about her cancer, for me. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, because there is also, like, this parallelism with the student... How he looks at cancer is similar to how he looks at John Doerr literature. It's about this thing that is okay. It feels like a giant puzzle that there is no like a clear solution. So he, both of them, they look at their passion in a very clinical way. Yeah, which is the mistake that she only <laughs> can realize now that she's dying alone. Yeah, yeah, holy shit! It was. Honestly, no. This was not a nice movie to watch. It's great. It's a good movie. It was fucking devastating to me. I rewatched the the final scenes like three times. <laughs> You're sick, man. You're also they sick. used um, Arvo Parts Spiegel and Spiegel very um, generously. It's that piano music that plays that's so gentle. Um, oh yeah, it's yeah. used in a lot of films, but it's just so sweet here and so perfectly. It. Yeah, I mean, I think that that part was the only one that I felt like, okay, this is a TV film. 
that the the music was the music was like yeah the music i felt like it was a bit too heavy-handed you know i feel that okay this is what you want me to feel and i feel like okay you don't need it you don't need it you have like a perfect acting you have like really smart scripts like what do you need to just you know like push it even deeper with the music um i would have loved to have seen this as a play although i did read that the vivian on stage was a very angry person and so much so that it made sense why nobody came to see her because she was a bitch. Um, so I, I would be curious to see it. But you mentioned earlier uh, that it's like even like someone on her position, someone would go to see them. And even like she mentioned that it's like if I end up dying because of this, I think that my students would put like this work together, you know, and they would mention some words about me. It would be more about their self-promotion, but they would still be nice and sweet. Her coworkers, yeah. They said that in order to or, uh, commemorate her, they would put together collections of their own essays on John <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so basically, I just using her death as a vehicle for a self-promotion. Self-promotion, yeah. But at the same time, don't you think that uh, if that was the truth, that those people may still go visit them so they can actually say is that, oh, I actually see her in her dying bed? Yeah, and I think that's the one piece where that is slightly manipulative about the play or the script is that nobody came to see her specifically so that the scene with her, the last scene with her that's professor would be so profoundly... Uh, just Devastating. Chock full of emotions that you wouldn't have gotten if she had periodic students that, oh, I really loved your class, or you couldn't have that and have that scene be as powerful as, and it's fucking powerful. That, that scene, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot remember. Well, maybe I remember Anne's scene from uh, the movie that we watched next that is like as devastated. Well, as devastating, no, but it's like, it's so emotional. It's almost as emotional as that. But yeah, I I was thinking like Dancer in the Dark may have done it. Uh, holy shit! Yeah, Dancer in the Dark. At the end is also another movie that is like when that scene happens at the end, it's like I actually had to leave the cinema because it, it happens and the uh, the uh, movie goes black. I think yeah, and the credits start rolling and it's like yeah, I'm not going to be like waiting until the light goes on. I'm running out of the cinema. Bye. <laughs> But again, Lars von Trier cheats. He cheats and he makes characters that aren't real. And I feel like this character was so real and that they didn't cheat. So wait a second, do you feel like Salma is not real? Do you feel like this academic specialized on 17th century John Don literature is more real than a, a factory La- worker Lars going blind? What Lars von Trier did with the Golden Heart Trilogy was make three women that were so perfect. They were too good for this world. They were too kind, too generous. They were not real characters. She was a real character. Yeah, she was. Yeah, but at the same time, I agree with you. Now, the more that I think about it, the less sense it makes that no one goes to visit. And it's like, I understand why the original play makes her a bitch. But in this case, it's like, she's not a bitch with people. I mean, she's uncompromising, as she says. Yeah. But she's never like, she has never like mistreated any of the doctors that work on her or, you know, like the nurse or anyone. She feels like a completely decent person. There's like, if you were their neighbor, 
So her nurse that was supposed to be the polar opposite of the doctor who treated her completely like a non-human, she was a, an incredibly kind. Yeah. Do you agree? Disagree? Uh, sorry, second. I mean, you actually just broke for a second. You oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm saying that her nurse was so generous and kind with her, and she, I felt like she was supposed to be the polar opposite of the doctor. Um, that I was surprised by the one comment when Vivian's basically gone and they're actually putting a catheter into uh, Emma Thompson. Like it's, it's just the indignity of, of this disease is just hor horrific. But she says, the doctor says when I had her in college, she was a night, like everyone was terrified of her. People hugged the walls when she passed. And the nurse says, well, she wasn't an easy person to be here either. And I was like, she was like, she was you guys had a good rapport and she was never mean. So that's just a, a carryover from the play that I think. Yeah. It was not regretted. Yeah. That, that part, you're absolutely right. That part could actually have been like a bit more regretting. And besides, the, even at that point, is that the nurse gets along really, really well with this guy. I think that even like just calls him by a nickname, like Jace. Yeah. Instead of Jason that I felt like nothing up to this point in the movie actually would make me think that this is the relationship that you guys had. Right, and no fellow, no doctor doing a fellowship will ever have a nurse call him by a nickname. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think that the uh, the movie is great. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's like I think that oh, towards... No. After that point, I had the feeling that it's like even with the do not resuscitate part, I just felt a bit weird about it. I think that after the emotional payoff, it's a bit more like that. Look, at this point, the audience is just disconnecting. Is that they are like just devastated? So it's like it doesn't matter. It's like everyone knows that she's going to die. Whatever it happens from this point on, worries that it's just secondary. I disagree with you. I mean, the, those last ten minutes, all of it is just pitch perfect for me. But as we've spoken, I'm an emotional masochist. I but, just. But isn't during those 10 minutes when the catheter scene happens? I'm talking about from when Professor, I'm going to find out I pronounced her name wrong the entire time. Is it Ashford? Maybe. From the time know. Professor Ash, Ashford comes to the end, including Ashford. that DNR scene, I, I just, that ending is perfect. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <sighs> I think that at that point, he started like this. I, I won't say like downhill, but I think that that scene with the teacher is like so emotionally draining. That from that point, is like I didn't care too much about like when they're like trying to resuscitate her and she's like just fighting to just push them away. It's like, so wait a second. So you cannot push them away the first time. They even like just try, they saw her once and it's like, but now you do. After that, when you're like just jumping in front of them, it's like, hey, hey, this is a DNR code. Hey, hey, is okay. We try to resuscitate her one for just living in the air. It's like maybe she's going to be like coming back to life and remaining as a vegetable. But no, they, but, they would never listen to the nurse. Finally, the doctor started screaming at them, I made a mistake, and they stopped. And that's when they started to make fun of him. Like, uh, what is he, an intern? He called us up here for a code, and there's not even a code. The <laughs> point is they wouldn't listen to the nurse because the nurse was treating her like a human. They would only listen to the, the, the researcher to who doctor. had some supporting. Okay. I mean, if it was any other movie, I would be checking it right now. Being this movie, 
fuck it, you are right <laughs> about anything. You are right. I don't care. I'm never going to be like pressing play on this movie ever again. Okay, so you would never uh, watch it again. Would you nope. recommend it to anyone? Nope. I told you today we had like a, a tea time today, and I told them, he's like, this is a great movie. Don't watch it. It would break your heart. But that's a fun, it's a nice experience sometimes. No, look, as there are other people, I mean, I love horror films. I love them. But I understand that there are people that they say, say, I don't like horror and I don't understand why people would watch something to just get a scare. It's like, this is now, this, thank you, you actually opened my eyes. It's like, I don't know why people would watch something just for feeling bad with themselves. But it's not to feel bad, didn't it? Didn't it? I, and it did. We were talking about this, but we could stop ourselves from talking about the movie before we started recording. You <laughs> said that this movie made you think about yourself and your own relationships and how you're investing your emotional energy. But not in a good way. Not in a good way. Maybe just think is that I just wasted my life. But, I can turn but, it I can turn but it around, but it's like the point is like right now what it was telling you is like as we are in the middle of a pandemic, I don't have a way of turning it around. It's about isolation. It's like we are isolated right now. My Even chihuahua is very upset. Well, your chihuahua is actually just breaking that isolation. I wish that I had a chihuahua right now. And believe me, I would never say that outside of a pandemic, of a global pandemic. I see what you're saying, but I, there's not many movies that make us sit and reflect and you kind of look at it as a glass half empty of, oh, I've been fucking up in certain ways. I like to look at it in a way, Jesus, how can I look at my interpersonal relationships and the areas I'm choosing to invest energy and, and what can I do so that I don't experience this? And I'm not telling, look, I told you it's a good movie, but it's an emotionally draining movie. It's not like a heartwarming movie. You know, it's like now, actually, next time we will watch a movie that is actually heartwarming and at the same time, it's also a bit emotionally draining. This is a heartbreaking movie, as you told me. I just think that because something is emotional, emotionally draining doesn't make it worth it. No, you have the touring horse. <laughs> that is everything draining. It's life draining <laughs> directly. Drain my will to stare at a TV screen. <laughs> Honestly, said, this is a movie that I don't know who I could recommend it to. I would recommend it to you because I think that the script is majestic, but I have no idea who could, who could consume this movie and just feel like, okay, this was good. I have one friend that I know that I could recommend it. Well, you, I made you watch it. And I have one other person that I might recommend it to. So the answer to those questions are, I definitely would watch this again, 100%. And I would recommend it, like, no doubt. To one person. Yeah, because uh, not everyone watches the movies for the same reasons that you and I do, which most people are, it's like binary. Is it happy? Is it sad? Sure, and this is actually a mixture of both. And it's true, is that he's happy, well, happy from the perspective that uh, sees a strong woman going through this process and sees with a very analytical way about like, I'm not going to be like letting this getting me down. It's not about like, I'm not going to be like letting this getting me down. It's like, I cannot even fathom why this would get me down. <laughs> I'm so proud of 17 year old Blake and his recognition that this is a masterpiece. And yeah. uh, 
set me on the journey that led me here to gay bros go to dive bars. Honestly, I do you think that from an artistic perspective, there is something about this movie? I think the the decision to shoot it the way they did, it was interesting. And you know that I love face close-ups. I know you don't like it, but Ingmar Bergman just basically did close-ups because he thought everything he needed to show should be on the faces of his actors. And yeah. the movie starts out very strong very extreme close-up on her doctor's face saying you have cancer yep. and then i so yes i liked there was a lot of artistic direction that i think was beautiful and interesting um with the limitations of it being a made for tv film in 2001 mm -hmm. yeah how did you feel that the uh doc from uh, back to the future is the uh, main doctor here so I saw that he was in the film before I started watching it. I didn't remember that from when I saw it 20 years ago. Um, and I was also extremely impressed with him as an actor because he didn't feel like Doc in the slightest. He felt like an old, out-of-touch cancer doctor. Yeah. But it almost feel I almost felt like he was more human than the student, than Jason. Uh, that could be true. I think we got a lot more FaceTime with Jason, That's true. but Kalikian didn't necessarily present with the best bedside manner either. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Uh, so the, the only thing that we didn't talk about is about the rest of the works from uh, Michael, Mike, Mike Nichols. The, the yes, second so... is like extremely barriered. What else of his have you seen? Uh, the Graduate, uh, The Barcades. What you like? The Graduate is probably one of the strangest movies that I ever watched. Did you watch it? Yeah. I, I felt watched it together. Mm, no. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Let me just check the uh, this process. But I had a feeling that for a while we were not uh, no, recording. No, this was pre Yeah. I when I watched it some years ago. I felt like it was a very, very strange script. I liked it a lot. I don't remember it very well, but I remember thinking, oh, I've avoided watching this for years, and I actually like it. Yeah. I remember the ending. Like, oh, like I love... Do you remember the ending? Mm-hmm. So when they're, like, driving away, or they're in a taxi or whatever, you know, like, a together? Bus. A public or a bus. bus. It was a bus. And, like, yep. how they face, like, the shot is, like, the face of both of them. And it's like how they start at the beginning, like just happy. I heard like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> and it's like, it almost feels like it's a bit more of a, of a reflection about the 60s, about like just a confused decade, about like, we need this to be happy. But it's like when we actually accomplish this is when we realize that we don't want it. So it tries to reflect on a society that doesn't know exactly what we want, that they are like just trying to pursue ideas of happiness that they're never going to happen. So I felt like this was one of those movies that, okay, you can just keep it you know, from the perspective of what happens in the movie, like just the face value of it about like the guy, uh, was it uh, Dustin Hoffman? Dustin yep. Hoffman, like just having sex with his girlfriend, uh, mother, you know, and that very iconic scene. Or you can actually just take it for a bit more like the uh, metaphorical perspective that it presents. It reminds so me. 
sorry, it, it just reminds me a bit from that perspective to uh, blow up. Is blow up the Antonioni movie? That is okay. You can just take it about like this surreal thing that is happening here, or just trying to make it a bit more about the generation and the reality at that point. So you didn't like the graduate. You did. I loved Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and I liked the graduate. And I think that is. Oh no! I fucking loved Closer, and Wit. <laughs> I Closer. It just left me. I mean, not emotionally devastated, but it's like, I like uh, Jude Law. And it's like, yeah, the guy is an asshole, you know, but it's like everything that happens to him is just bad. So you haven't seen anything else by Michael Nichols that you like? I mean, The Birdcage is a light comedy. I mean, not a really light comedy, but it's, it's light, light-ish, let's say. So would you be interested in watching anything else by him? I, I told you, and before we started recording, is that we check uh, what else he did. And uh, I would be interested in watching Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I heard a lot That's about fantastic. it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but no, I would be interested because I cannot, you know, if I think about Closer and Wheat, they are pretty different movies. I feel. I feel like he's really good at putting plays onto the smaller big screen. I oh, so feel like he's really good at that. So Closer was a, was a play too? I don't know if it was originally a play, but it certainly felt like one. I mean, just having the four characters interacting in different uh, settings. Yeah. No, that's true. It's a very minimalistic kind of a yep. story. At the end. It's, only it's the a four play actors. by Patrick Marber. Gotcha. Yeah, I, it's not that I dislike it. The movie, I just felt... I don't know. I mean, I think that at that point I was appreciating my movies being a bit more a bit, not a bit, but it's like I want some kind of resolution that doesn't make me feel like God, you just wanted your characters to suffer. Look, I gave you Clueless, you hated it. I gave you Wit, you hated it. You're <laughs> just chronically insatiable because this movie was a masterpiece and probably a 10 out of 10. Okay, that's fine. So that's your score? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I told you, it's like, I think that this is a good movie, but it's like, when we actually go over the criteria that we usually ask ourselves about, like, I will watch it again. No, I would recommend it. No, I don't hate anyone that much. And from an artistic uh, perspective, it's like, I, I don't think... use that to figure out our score. I just. Oh, no, no, I know. My score is independent. You know, it's like, okay. we usually just ask ourselves these questions, you know? Yeah. And if I think about the artistic perspective, I think that this is a functional movie from the artistic perspective. I don't think that there is anything outside of the script that I would remember. Well, and the acting that I would think is like, this is transcendental. So you didn't like when she would go into flashbacks to her younger self and then it would interchange with her in her hospital gown. I, like any of that? I wish that now I remember the Charles Kaufman uh, quote from adaptation about like using flashbacks and using uh, voiceovers. About like, these are the cheapest resources that you can use as a screenwriter. 
I, but they're good. They're, yeah, they're no, good I don't. Know. That doesn't apply here because the the play was taken from the entire perspective of a hospital bed. You can't yeah. have a ninety minute play from a hospital bed. <laughs> but I I assume that they actually do something like that. Is like at that point when they use the uh, I'm going to be like putting a younger actress for playing her, but at the same time putting her replacing the younger actress. Like you know, let's see reading the uh, the book when she's a little child on that flashback scene, is that I can see that emotionally this has some kind of impact. See, from a direction perspective, I would love to see the actor playing Vivian in a hospital bed and then her father being there by a fireplace reading a book and she getting out of bed to go reenact that scene from her youth. I, I find it all charming, all of it. Yeah, I mean, and I, look, I think that is a, that's the point when I realized that this has to be theater. This has to be theater because yeah. it looks like the kind of stuff the theater would do. It is, but you have to say this must be Pulitzer Prize winning theater. That's, that's what you have to say. <laughs> sure, Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, honestly, it's like I think the short material is good. I feel curious, but I would never, I would never satisfy this curiosity about like just reading or watching an adaptation of the original play for just seeing like the difference on the character. On Vivian's character. For me, this was, like I said, this was my gateway movie. This is the original movie for me. I don't want to necessarily get a different idea of Vivian or her experience. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it's more like just filling the holes. Filling the holes, you know, we're talking about like, well, is the nurse like that? Or is it actually something that it was adapted for more emotional impact? You know, or is the character, is Vivian like a nice person that it has like very, very high standards? Or she's a bitch. I don't know. And we will I never know. Movie. We will never know. I, so I, I, I will never know. <laughs> <laughs> What's your score? Uh, my score is an eight. Oh wow, mine's an eight point five. So okay. okay like we were, I mean, we were I, I told you, Isaac. I think that this is a marvelous script. It's amazing. And I feel pleased that a movie like this didn't go to the cinemas. Yeah, I, but yes, I completely agree. I also agree that HBO probably understood there's not an audience to pay to watch Emma Thompson die for two hours. So whatever. <laughs> sure. But it's like, oh, well, what a second. So actually there is not a, a market for that, but there is a market for seeing, uh, oh crap. What is her name? Julianne Moore, get Alzheimer's. No, I didn't watch that one. I don't want to watch it. I look. I already watched like too many movies with uh, with her. Uh, no, uh, crap. What is her name? Uh, the actress from. Uh, I don't want to see them. Uh, Decor. Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank dying for half a movie in Million Dollar Baby. Well, because she's boxing for most of that movie, and then Clint Eastwood kills her. Is half of the movie. Is half of the movie different. boxing. Is half of the movie boxing, and they have the movie die. <laughs> and I felt like really pissed when I watched it. You know about like what the fuck? I thought it was about the boxing. It was not about euthanasia. Well, I'm impressed with your score. Um, I loved watching this movie again after 20 years. I'm happy to introduce you to it. Uh, now I can finally say that I made you cry. So. Holy shit, you cannot imagine how I cried. It was like this, bad, you know, emotionally bad about like, I, what am I doing with my life? And honestly, it's like I had the same kind of feeling with a dancer in the dark. 
See, <laughs> we keep belaboring this point, but I understand how wit can influence me moving forward in changing the way I live my life. I don't understand what the fuck Lars von Trier wants me to do after watching Dancer in the Dark. <laughs> how am I supposed to interact differently? I don't... <laughs> it didn't Being give me the perspective person. that I didn't have before. Yeah, shitty things happen and people die. I get it, Lars. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is I can remember after watching Dancer in the Dark the first time, I was feeling like, okay, he wants me to be a better person, but at the same time, he's like the better person suffered a terrible death. You know? Yeah, this is why he's a manipulator, and this was a story that taught me something about myself. But the funny thing is that that kind of message, that kind of format, and we have discussed this like hundreds of times about Haneke and Lars von Trier. That is like a Lars von Trier in this case with this trilogy, as you were saying, is that he's just portraying people that they are supposedly too good for this world. And they suffer. They're they don't just suffer. There. They die. They die. They well, get they the die. Other, okay, breaking the waves. How does she die? I don't remember now. She commits suicide. I think she goes out to that boat with, that she's not supposed to to service all the men, and she gets raped and murdered. Holy shit! I have forgotten that part. Yeah. So I only remember that I see dies, and then his husband goes back to life. That she was in a coma. No. Oh, that's no, right. She was not in a coma. She was like paralyzed. He was in a he was in a coma. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. He was in a coma, and uh, he actually comes back to life, like magically. God doesn't God tell her that if she fucks everyone on that boat, he'll come back to life, and she does. Oh my God! Fuck you, Lars von <laughs> But again, in case it's like actually God's words came to life, and there is like this non-dogma scene at the end where there is like this pan out, and you can see like the bells in heaven like just tolling for her. When it's my turn, we're watching the idiots. We are watching the idiots. Wait, was idiot the idiots like the other movie from the Golden Heart trilogy? It sure was. Dancer in the dark, breaking the waves, and the idiots. Holy shit, man. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, in any case, I think that, for example, like uh, Haneke is about like, just making people go through bad stuff for just portraying how terrible humanity is as a whole. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's a bit more like just, you know, like the kind of a metaphysical concept that we have, like humans, they are not terrible or good by nature. It's a bit more like society turns you into something. Yeah. That it may be good. Cool. Yeah. It may be good or it may be bad. And Haneke, what he tries to tell you is that no, it's always going to be bad. Yep. No. <laughs> when we're like just pushed against against the ropes, it's going to be bad. Don't worry. And uh, Lars Montreux is true that I think that I agree with you that it may be a bit more manipulative. And in this case, this movie, I had a feeling that is like, is not manipulative per se. You know, there are like some parts that I don't think that they match with others, but the end result of how I feel after watching it, there is not so much difference between like watching a Haneke, a Lars von Trier movie or this. I feel empty. That's an interesting point because I, I don't feel empty after this movie. I was so touched by the kindness shown to Vivian at the end that it made me feel nice despite the horrible thing happening. Whereas when I watched um, the girl get pissed on at the end of Nymphomaniac 2, I thought this is just um, 
Perfect. Gratitude. Yep. I, I don't feel anything because this is too much. Okay. This, for me, was not an uplifting movie. It was. It's not uplifting, but you can be touched by, uh, what would you call it? a display of kindness in a time when it was so needed? Sure, sure. But that's basically like, yes, you know, almost sounds like the uh, HR narrative about like, can you point in the doll where you were touched? You say, okay, I was touched here in my heart and it was perforated completely. So I was touched by it. <laughs> but it was, for me, it was not touched in a positive way. I don't know. I feel like that argument could be made with any like uplifting movie, like The Fall, where it's like, oh, there was this horrible emotional, um, you know, Spoiler. mental spoilers. Spoilers from oh, this time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I give you point, but it, for me, it's not that. Um, okay. No, I mean, it, it's fine, and I think that that's the beauty of cinema is that we're going to be like, relating in a different kind of way. We're yeah. going to be like just understanding and just relating to movies in different ways. And I think that this is a good movie. It's like, this is one of those movies that is, okay, people may actually take it in different ways. And it's still like, it's the same movie and it is still equally good for both of us or close to equally good. So what are we watching next week? So next week, thank you so much for bringing it up. <laughs> but next week we are watching the, uh, what year is it? 2007? Uh, that sounds about right. Maybe. 2006, 2006. The 2006 classic by uh, Tarsem Singh, The Fall. No, by Tarsem. By Tarsem. Tarsem. It's not visually appealing to show his last name on his credits. So. <laughs> That's true. Tarsem. It's just Tarsem. He doesn't like to just go by his full name. <sighs> but yeah, so this, this is interesting because it's a movie that we both watched like multiple times, but we're discussing that... I wanted something a bit more uplifting than this movie. And it's going and this is also a movie that I think that is a comfort movie for me. Yeah. But I also think that emotionally it also has some weight to it. It sure does. It yeah. sure does. All right. Well, anything else that we should talk about with? That's it for me. Okay. Almost perfect. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's not almost perfect. There's like many other movies that you have more than 8.5. I know, I know, but I love this movie so much. Would you say that this is a movie equally good as Shortcuts? Uh, no, there's a level of genius, I think, that Shortcuts has that... Oh, that this doesn't? What did I give Shortcuts? 8.5. I, I would definitely say that... Uh, his movie is better, but I don't know if it's the scale. I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. thought. We should just have a podcast at some point where we just discuss how our scores compare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we end up like just doing that a lot of times. Yeah. Okay, man. This was, I won't say great because <laughs> fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Uh, because the wailing that I had yesterday is like, yeah, I was for a second like, like are, are the neighbors going to be thinking that someone is killing me right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was not pleasant. But in any case, I'm looking forward to the fall. I sure am too. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, folks. Wash your hands. Bye.